This presentation is from UX Australia 2019, Sydney. Um, I have the pleasure of introducing our next speaker, uh, Nadine Radin, who is a product manager at um, Reach Out Australia, which is a wonderful organization. Um, and this is around the next step story, young people, digital self-help and better mental health outcomes. Welcome. Thanks for having me here. Um, quite opposite to Jonathan's story, your experiment ended up being our product and your kind of space of uh, already in crisis is something we try to avoid because reach out is really in the early uh, prevention and intervention space. Um, so I'll try, I did the silly thing of putting the laptop at the back, but I'll try to make sure that it clicks along. Um, before we start, if you want to play along, you can log on um, and just have a look. It's reachout.com uh, forward slash hash next step. Um, you'll be looking at the existing product uh, and I'll be talking you through a new version. It's important to point out that it's in beta, so I'm pretty grateful for the organisation um, to allow me to show the work. Uh, okay, good. So reach out. Um, thanks for the intro. It is a great service. Um, it's a not-for-profit. It's for young people, parents and schools. Um, it's not a plug. It's just for context. Uh, but we provide uh, information, digital mental health tools and apps and a peer support uh, platform to help all young people be happy and well. So most of our products, um, I'd say actually everything we do is co-designed with young people. Uh, so when a young person tells us um, and a lot of these following quotes are from early uh, co-design sessions or the pilot or the ICT for this product. Uh, so when a young person says it can be really overwhelming to figure out how to get help on your own, especially when some days it's impossible to get out of bed, and this tool lets you figure out your next step without having to get out of bed, it brings a bit of independence and power right when you need it most. Or when any other, another young person says, um, I thought it was really good for someone who was not operating at full capacity, like they might have whatever inhibiting their ability, like for me, it's major depression, and it kind of blocks my higher thinking. Uh, so not always, but I can't remember things, and I don't have very good recall, and I can't understand particularly complex things, even though I should be able to. We know they're not isolated incidents, and we know that these uh, young people uh, are not alone in what they're experiencing, and this is really what self-help looks like in the mental health frame. Uh, so it's also the kind of data point that really drives the work we do. Uh, the desire for autonomy and self-efficacy are one of the several well-established barriers uh, that, prevent mental, um, that prevent young people from seeking professional support for their mental health issues. Just under one in four young people aged 15 to 19 uh, live with a probable serious mental illness. Only 30% of those young people will seek help, and once they do, they're already in high distress. In, thank you. Uh, in 2018, young people identified the top three issues of personal concern as coping with stress, school or study problems, and mental health. Our research tells us that when taking their first steps to actively seek help, young people st are stepping into the unknown, uh, they're well outside their comfort zone, they can be feeling scared, uh, overwhelmed, alone, anxious and unsure who and what to trust. They're likely to be seeking help privately um, on a personal device 
And for most young people, uh, the help-seeking process isn't linear. Uh, it's one that can take months or years. Uh, it involves a large amount of exploration, questioning, uncertainty, uh, and we've identified the journey as having three key parts or stages. It's assessing, accepting, and acting. And these things interrelate, but they happen kind of iteratively rather than in a linear way. Uh, so many young people become overwhelmed by the process of help-seeking. Uh, they encounter barriers, which mean they don't progress across all those stages. Uh, they can get s stuck at certain points and give up entirely or come back after a year or two. They also find it difficult to know where to start. So once they start, they find information glut, inability to discern what is trustworthy, what's credible, um, and in response to this, the University of Melbourne, along with Reach Out, was funded by the Young and Well uh, Cooperative Research Centre to design a digital help product to help that um, to facilitate the help-seeking process among young people. And the result was Next Step. Uh, not this version, but the earlier one you may be looking at. Um, so it's designed to help 18 to 25-year-olds going through a tough time. Um, it's really to assist young people to get to their next step in that mental health journey um, and improve those mental health outcomes. It's online, it's free, and it's self-directed. And the first version of Next Step uh, was developed uh, entirely through co-design, which means young people were involved um, in defining the problem, designing the product, and then evaluating its usefulness. So it's pretty rigorous. Uh, the product launched against this backdrop of what should feel like confidence, uh, but it's now a few years old. And we were recently given the opportunity to address some of the pain points that had surfaced through that behavioral data of having um, a live product out in the, in the world for a couple of years. Thank you. Okay, uh, so the vision for Next Step is that it will be a personalised approach to helping young people understand their individual situation and then give them the tools to take control of their mental health. It's a conversation-based product, kind of, um, but while it emulates familiar tech like chatbots and the approach is to make it a little bit more human, it's still bound by really safe parameters and largely driven by user input and the relevance of these safe parameters will become evident. But fair to say that mental health for young people is a really complex space to design digital products. Uh, the basic premise is that in four steps, um, a young person can receive the support options that are relevant to them at that time. So the first step, uh, let's work out what's worrying you at the moment. Uh, this is a list of symptoms to choose from and multiple selections are possible. The second step is a list of issues, but the young person must choose one to continue because recognising what's going on is the first step to feeling better. Uh, the third step is to assess uh, the severity of that issue that they've chosen to focus on, uh, finding the best, um, to find that best support option. It's best to let the young person let us know exactly how much it's affecting them. And that fourth step is the return support options, and this is kind of split into two parts. It's the uh, recommended immediate action and then other steps that you may take, uh, which is that second batch of options. 
um, because it's digital, it's all online and it's self-directed, we can provide multiple options for next steps. Uh, it's quite a departure from the traditional stepped care approach because that really sees primary care as your local GP um, and that's the more common first step in a mental health care experience. But the support options here are service modalities that are tiered. So it's uh, information and apps and tools, uh, peer support forums and online chat services and then phone or face-to-face. So the existing product was tangled in multiple data sources to make sense of, to separate out what's interesting <laughs> from what's uh, relevant, from what's useful. Um, and I actually found that um, everything in this batch of, um, in this pile of, of stuff was, was useful and interesting. Uh, next step is evidence-based. The algorithm was developed by clinicians. Uh, the product was originally developed through co-design. It was evaluated through a pilot, then a randomised control trial. And then we had also the, the two years of data um, after it kind of uh, went live. So despite all of this, several things about the experience weren't working for young people. Uh, so what could I take with me? Uh, really, that it was launched over 50,000 times last year, but that young people weren't progressing through the stages. Uh, so the list of problems to solve read like any other in the product world. Um, it included things like onboarding, UX across all steps, data and integration, uh, tech stack limitations, really old tech stack limitations, um, acquisition, conversion, uh, retention. But it's really some of the more... Uh, atypical uh, problems and considerations we have to make that makes this equal parts complex and challenging. Uh, so the average conversion of reach out users under 25 using Next Step was hovering at about 5% and declining. Uh, the impact of the problem was pretty straightforward. It was less young people helped. Uh, we also needed to understand better why young people were spending time on each step. So for step one, that long list of symptoms, it was kind of obvious. We hadn't given them any way to bypass that. But for step three, selecting the, sever the severity of the issue, it was less obvious because it was a simple slider. Um, so we really wanted to focus on getting them from the first step to the second step. Some of the UX goals for the project were uh, validate my feelings, give me some hope, show me that I'm not alone, walk me through the process, tune into me and my changing needs and make it easy to act and connect. And some of the more complex considerations were how might we provide an anonymous service, protect young people's privacy, how can we mitigate harm, reduce risk, um, and here we audited everything from the words to the iconography and at every kind of turn, the arrogance of adults designing for other adults and for each other instead of the young people we serve was kind of evident and challenged and it was pretty awesome. Um, some of the other complex considerations are how can we not diminish the context of high distress that young people are in when they're using Next Step. Um, so I mentioned we had a declining kind of conversion rate and uh, really when a young person tells us when I'm feeling over uh, overwhelmed and unsure and down and dealing with the effects of a panic attack or just plain anxious, I don't want to explore the whole site finding the help I need. This insight allows us to integrate the product as service delivery. Uh, so accessing Next Step isn't that hidden as an in-text kind of reference or in some banner somewhere on the site. It's now available on every single uh, page. So it makes the, um, makes the product 
way more accessible, but it also is a lot more familiar because we have this permanent icon, which is more popularised through social and B2C messenger apps. Um, so how can we keep the service anonymous and provide young people's private uh, and provide uh, protect young people's privacy as they use it? How can we make it safe to use? Uh, we opted for the four-digit PIN uh, to protect the privacy of the session data if a young person chooses to, uh, which means the PIN is entirely optional and it's not required for access. Uh, surprisingly, the PIN was something everyone was really passionate about, so we had questions on uh, whether we should generate and serve it rather than allow users to select the PIN. Uh, there's a lot of noodly logic that sits behind it, and these were the kind of first hurdles. Uh, but keeping control with young people was really important, so they self-select that PIN. It takes on another dimension of utility for the segment of young people who do want to save their results and return to either access them again or take a different uh, pathway to better support options or different issues at different times. Um, if they've returned, they enter an incorrect PIN three times, uh, then uh, they'll need to start a new session. And this way we didn't have to collect other identifying information like email or phone number to enable that second step of authentication. Um, these decisions are really difficult to make because we weigh ease of use against protecting privacy. Um, so how can we get uh, young people from the first step to the second step? Uh, I mentioned that it was a long list of symptoms and one of the biggest experience challenges for us was retaining that list of symptoms because it covers a really good range of representative topics for uh, that can affect young people's daily lives. So things like body, food, exercise, uh, bullying, right through to the other end of the spectrum, self-harm and suicidal ideation. Uh, but the attrition rate from step one to step two was just way too high at over 80%. So the first step is really telling young people, this list is long, good start. Uh, so the list is, uh, the long list was retained, uh, the scrolling was retained, um, and they're important features for young people that we've identified in that segment who don't know exactly what they're experiencing. And one of the broader goals at Reach Out is help me understand my experience. So that list is still there. Um, but we added search for young people who did know exactly what they were going through to bypass. Um, then we added filters for the young for those uh, that group of young people who can conceptualise their issue within a group, something like relationships. Uh, and then we added the ability for young people to see the symptoms they selected. If they came back and edited those, um, they're pinned to the top. So personalisation is, is an interesting one um, because our challenge was to personalise to a degree uh, but not alienate data privacy literate young people. Uh, we ordered the, the amount of steps it takes for young people to get to their recommended support option and as they're represented um, at a local state level, so it's most relevant to you, uh, we made the decision to detect state rather than uh, ask a young person to tell us exactly what they are. So uh, where they are, so less uh, user-led data input. And secondly, it reduces the kind of burden on uh, a young person to think about details uh, that, that don't really matter that much in a time of distress. Um, so we're reducing that burden. Uh, importantly, that level of personalisation creates value because it reduces... Um, choice and being overwhelmed by, by um, support options that aren't relevant, 
But we also don't request personal details from young uh, people and only ask for the bare minimum inputs to get them to that support recommendation. So how do we uh, not diminish the, the context of high distress? Uh, to mitigate harm, Reach Out has a duty of care framework that we draw from. It promotes safety, equity, being young person-centred, having boundaries and confidentiality. And the, the first and most immediate question to satisfy in that frame is around immediate danger. So if a young person selects any of the symptoms identified as high risk, things like, I feel that everyone would be better off without me, my home doesn't feel safe or stable, or I've lost all hope, then an immediate danger overlay is triggered. And this directs young people to emergency support options, including triple zero and Lifeline. on mitigating harm and reducing uh, further potential risk to young people. Once we can get past that crisis moment, the question becomes more focused on how can we help guide young people to their next step without using diagnostic language. So young people tell us that they have a strong preference for language uh, that focuses on the issue uh, that they're experiencing and how they're feeling, so very symptoms and feeling-based. Uh, rather than an, on diagnostic criteria for mental health disorders or the use of clinical terminology. And there are a couple of challenges in doing this and reducing the ambiguity around language and in the UI. So you can see two screens here. Um, on the left, uh, as a product person, as an adult user, I really loved uh, the design language that our co-creators, Nightjar, had presented to us. But on closer inspection, the abstract language was not bound um, by a standardised set, uh, as set out in something like the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Um, and to a degree, they were then non-inclusive. Uh, so the first symbol that we went back and forth about was, was gender. Um, important to me. And we landed on a non-binary single line, but it opened up a discussion on all the symbols. Um, and within the organisation, we consult a clinical advisory group uh, that's comprised of three clinicians. So whenever we have something where we need to make a clinical-based evidence call, that's who we turn to. Uh, for next step, we worked with each individually on both the categories that became the filters and the interface design, in particular the design language. Uh, so our clinical advisory group was unanimous in their feedback that it was all ultimately a distraction. And the final screen is actually on the right-hand side. So I mentioned we also needed to understand better why young people were spending uh, time on each step. Um, so the first step, there were no shortcuts, uh, but for the third step and selecting the severity, it was difficult to understand. When we looked closely at the data where young people were selecting exactly how much the issue affected them, uh, they were spending an average 27 seconds to make a decision, but it's always been a slider and it was really difficult to understand why. The hypothesis was that this was a moment of reflection. Uh, so at this point in the process, a young person has uh, selected their symptoms, they've chosen an issue to focus on, uh, but they were still taking the, that 27 seconds to assess just how much is this affecting me. And it led us to decide that every step of the process actually needed user selection and confirmation of that selection to allow a young person that moment for pause and reflection and a decision-making process at each step, um, which could be clunky uh, for all other products, but it's really entirely appropriate for this one. 
So when you remove the traditional one-on-one help model and ability for human interaction and building trust between the patient and clinician, you do have to rely on smaller interactions to build trust, provide encouragement with and not diminish the context of high distress. And one uh, way to do that was to provide familiarity. Um, And for young people, uh, that's still emojis. They tell us they still love them. They still use them as shorthand. Um, Additionally, in a pilot study uh, conducted with young people in the Western New South Wales local health district, young people indicated that to be engaging, next step needed to be accessible to young people who also didn't prefer to read. So the only question was which emojis to use. Uh, Young people told us during user testing on the wireframe prototypes that the use of uh, emojis is warm, it's relatable, um, they're good as they represent emotion well, but rockets and sirens were out uh, and nondescript face emojis were in. Uh, So they really removed the need for young people to identify themselves in an image and instead focus on the emotion. So rather than thinking, does this look like me, doesn't this look like me, just focus on exactly what you're experiencing. So some next steps for us are to launch with a subset of users, set a good baseline for behavioural data against our assumptions, um, iterate and then integrate with our partners like the University of Melbourne to reach more young people. This is just a quick shout out and thank you to our co-creators. We have an internal digital service delivery and research team and also we worked with Nightjar and Experience um, Studio in Sydney and anyone else there if you'd like to chat about any of this. Thank you. Thank you.